Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good evening, everyone. I greatly appreciate the invitation to join you all tonight. I bring you greetings from the University City Church in Gainesville, Florida. A lot of UF fans here, I'm sure, right? I actually went to school at Auburn many years ago, and so I'm not real popular down there when it comes to sports season, uh, but that's okay. Uh, There's actually one of our elders is a Florida State graduate, and so he's even less popular than I am, so that gives me a break. But I'm glad to be here, and I appreciate uh, you all being here tonight on a Wednesday night. I appreciate the subject. I don't know if there's a more important subject that faces the church right now than worship. There's a lot of things that are happening, uh, not only in Christendom, and that is the broad use of the word Christianity, but within the, the Lord's church, there are changes when it comes to worship, And we need to talk about that. And I I like the theme, wisdom about. And and I hope that reaching into God's word, we can pull out some wisdom that can encourage us, instruct us, and guide us as we go into an uncertain future. There's recently a congregation, uh, I believe it was in Missouri, I was reading about it, and it... uh, it about 40 years ago had about eight or 900 people. They had dropped about 100 people, and they decided to uh, incorporate themselves with a community church. And that just happened here within the last few weeks. And everything changes at that point. And it makes you wonder, where did all the other people go? Well, obviously, they were heading in the wrong direction to begin with. And the folks didn't want to stay around. When we think about worship, we think about John chapter 4, 19 through 24. And we're going to read it, but we're going to lay a lot of foundation before we come back to it. So I hope you'll be patient. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version tonight. As Jesus is engaging in a conversation with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, But you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what, uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, this kind of lays some very familiar territory before us when it comes to this concept of worship. So let's go back into our Old Testaments. We're going to go to the post-exilic period. In other words, after the the, uh, Jews had returned from 
Babylonian captivity, the Medo-Persians send them back to rebuild. And during that period of time, idol worship wasn't as much of a problem anymore. But they still did not have a heart for God. So we turn to Malachi, the first chapter. And Malachi is written somewhere around 420 to 440 B.C., So 400 plus years before Jesus comes, it's one of our last writings before God goes silent until John the baptizer comes on the scene. And in chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, we read, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master... Where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. Its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. We have... The offering here of defiled, blind, lame, sick. Even the individuals are saying, oh, what weariness. You know, sometimes we might not feel like going to the assembly of the church. We've had those times in our lives, I'm sure. Well, I got to get up and get going. I've got to go to church. But hopefully we've never gotten to the point that we thought of our worship to God as weariness. And yet the priest, God's chosen people to lead the children of Abraham in worship, were saying, oh, what weariness. They were bringing the leftovers to God. They were bringing the worst to God. They were not planning for, 
nor were they praying over the things they were offering to God. So how did he respond? He says, you have despised my name by doing this. When you do not bring to me that which I have asked for, you've despised my name. What you're doing is evil, he says. I have no pleasure in you for what you are doing. Can you imagine tonight God calling down to us from a prophet? Malachi comes in here and says, God says he has no pleasure in you. I don't know where we'd go from there. Hopefully we would fall on our faces in repentance before God. Verse 14, he says, I am a great king and my name shall be feared among the nations. Even his own people didn't fear his name in the way they were coming before him in worship. In verse 10, this is one of the most telling things, and, and this, this is what concerns me for us. And I, and I mean 21st century Christians, not necessarily us that are in this room, but in general. This is what concerns me. God says it would be better, verse 10, it would be better if you shut the doors to my temple than to offer these offerings to me. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors, would put a padlock on it so nobody would do this falsely to me? You know, I'm... I'm looking around at, at some of our sister congregations throughout the brotherhood who are going off in many different directions, and I'm wondering who is there among their number that would close the doors to keep them from going off into these directions. God asked the question, while this is being done, will you be accepted? Should I accept what is coming from you? Do you get to tell me what I have to accept? That's what God's saying. The created is dictating to God what he's going to take. Like he doesn't know that it's, they're basically bringing roadkill in there and saying, here's your worship, God. The whole principle that God lays out throughout the Old Testament is, I want your best. I want your best. Now, let me tell you something about your best. My mother died on June 21st, 2018. That was on a Thursday. And she died in Nashville, Tennessee. She was from Pulaski, Tennessee, and had retired there. She had a stroke and ended up in Nashville. She passed away. And two days later, we did her service at the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski. My brother's also a gospel preacher, and we preached her service two days later. We didn't go home, so we stayed and worshiped with her congregation. My best on that Sunday probably wasn't my best on other Sundays, if you understand what I mean. You've probably been there. But you know what God wanted from me on that day? My best. Not my best compared to some other day, but my best on that day. He wanted me to bring my best, and I tried. 
I tried. And that's all he wants from us is our best. And he doesn't want me to offer your best or you to offer my best. He wants you to offer your best. That's what he's asking for, is our best. Now, when we talk about worship, there are four words that are used in the New Testament, in the original, in the Greek, that are translated worship or some form of worship. Proskuneo is the primary one, which literally means to kiss towards the hand, as if you were a king sitting on a throne and you had your hand out and they came and kissed your hand. And what it means is to prostrate yourself on the ground to pay homage. This is the word that the Magi use in Matthew chapter 2 when they say, we've come to worship him who is born king of the Jews. It is the word that Jesus uses in John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who worship him, proskuneo. The next word is latruo. And latruo refers to the daily service that was performed in the temple by the Levites, the priest. It is most prominently found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And in some translations is unfortunately translated, this is your reasonable worship or service of worship. Okay? That, that's not a good translation for that word. And it has led people to, from that text there to say, well, all of life is worship. All of life is not worship. If you go to 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John uses a lot of we and us and our words in that chapter. And he says, starting about verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ the Son cleanses us of all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Who's John writing there in 1 John chapter 1? Christians. And he includes himself, and he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Even the apostle John, aged as he was at that point in time, as he's still uh, continuing to encourage Christians, he's the last apostle living, he still acknowledges that he falls short from God. If all life is worship, is our sin worship to God? Because when you claim all of life is worship, that's what you're saying. And you're saying that the mundane aspects of life also is taking a shower worship to God? And we could get crude and we could talk about all kind of other things, but you know, all of life is not worship. Latruo refers to our service. And Jesus delineates between these two terms. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, when he says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You shall proskuneo the Lord your God, and him only shall you latruo. He delineates between those two words. So we can't say they both mean the same thing. They don't. They have different aspects. Sebomai is another word that is used. And it means to venerate, to reverence, or to worship. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus uses this word when he talks to the Pharisees, saying that in vain they worship me, teaching for commandments the doctrines of men. And he modifies it with the word vain, vain worship. In Acts chapter 13, when 
Saul is in Antioch in Pisidia. There were Jews he was speaking to, but there were also devout Greeks or Gentiles. That word devout is sebomai. They were reverential towards God. They were worshipers of God. That's what that word means. And lastly, there's a long word. I won't even try to pronounce it because I'll mess it up and everybody will be all distracted by that. But this is the word that the Apostle Paul uses in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, to talk about will worship or selfish worship. So these four words, and we're going to come back to those here in a little while to try to help us understand some things. But when we talk about worship, we need to know what we're talking about. And I wanted to make sure that we could see that. So when, we, when we're worshiping, we go back to Malachi, we looked at that it involves th- basically three things. Number one, we need to understand who God is when we worship. We need to secondly understand what God is seeking. He's seeking honor and reverence from those who are worshiping him. And third, we need to also be considering one another. There at the beginning of verse 9, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. When we worship him, we bring our best to God, we also get a blessing. When we incorporate proper worship together, individually we are blessed, but corporately we are blessed. It's an amazing thing. God God isn't just sitting there critiquing our worship and then waits around a week for us to come back so he can critique our worship again. God, God, it's a reciprocal things happening here. God wants to bless us. I don't know, if you're like me, you've probably been to worship before. It's like, I just don't really feel like going. You know, I'm... I'm just tired. I've had a long week. I've been traveling. I've this, that, the other problems have been happening. And you go, you force yourself to go, and you leave, and you got a, you got a spring in your step because whatever the lesson was, the songs that were sung, maybe somebody came up to you and said something encouraging to you, and you were encouraged to go on your way. Then you would have missed out on all of that if, you'd left, if you decided not to come. God wants to bless us during our time of worship. So, we ask ourselves the question here. With regard to what or how we worship, does it matter? Does it matter? But in three dispensations of mankind, the patriarchal age, the mosaic age, and the Christian age, does God tell us that it matters or not? Well, let's take a look at a few things. First of all, in Genesis chapter 4, 4 through 7, this is Cain and Abel. This is not plowing any new ground for us, but I want to point a couple of things out to us to kind of help us out. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. I started one verse too late, I'm sorry. Verse 3, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. 
we get hung up on this sometimes. It's like, well, he didn't bring a meat offering or he didn't bring whatever. You know, look at the modifiers. That's all you got to know. Cain brought an, A-N, an offering. Abel brought the firstborn and of the fat. He brought his best. Cain just brought something that he found, just picked it up and brought it to God. And God says, do well and you'll be accepted. These two offerings, one was done well and the other was not. And this is early in human history and God cares about the quality of worship that is being brought to him. Leviticus chapter 10, 1 through 3. The sons uh, of Aaron have a little bit of a problem. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane, some versions say strange, fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now, before we go any further, God had commanded fire. God had commanded this incense. They sourced the fire from the wrong place. Now, think about this for just a minute. But it's fire, God. What difference does it make where the fire comes from? Because God said, I want the fire from over there. Does God, our creator, have the right to tell us where to bring our fire from? Absolutely, he does. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. Now I want to ask you a question. Has the nature of God changed? It didn't change from the patriarchal age to the Mosaic age. It didn't change from the Mosaic age to the Christian age. God hasn't changed. Do we need to do well? Do we need to treat God as holy when we come before him? Certainly we do. This fire was not commanded, and God must be esteemed as holy. Malachi 14, verse 10, I am the great king. I must be feared among the nations. I must be reverenced among the nations. <coughs> Excuse me. So finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and, you know, unfortunately, there are those who say that there is not a, a worship service that is outlined in the Scripture. Read 1 Corinthians 11 through the first part of chapter 16. You know what you're going to see? In chapter 11, you're going to see the Lord's Supper. In chapter 12, you're going to see these Holy Spirit gifts that were given to the people in the church, which was the source of a lot of the problems there in the church in Corinth. 13, that those gifts had to be exercised with love. Chapter 14, when they came together as a church in the assembly, Paul says it would be better for you to prophesy than to speak in tongues. But he makes a statement in 14, 15. He says, therefore, I will pray with the Spirit, but I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. That word understanding is literally is the mind, the intellect. So he goes on further. And he outlines how they were to use those gifts. He gives them very strict rules, which, of course, our, our uh, neighbors who are of the charismatic or Pentecostal persuasion probably could use some time in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, 
there was a doctrinal issue of what was being proclaimed, the, the gospel that was being proclaimed. And there was some question about the validity of the resurrection. And so Paul spends an entire chapter telling them about the resurrection. I declared to you, beginning of chapter 16, an offering. So you look in chapter 11, the Lord's Supper, chapter 14, singing, prayer, preaching in 15, and you've got the giving in chapter 16. <clears throat> and about half a dozen times he talks about when, the, when you come together as a church, when you come together as a church, when you come together as a church. What is he talking about in those chapters? He's outlined for us how we're, uh, what's supposed to be contained in our worship. So for those that say that there isn't a, a worship service outlined in the scripture, they need to go to 1 Corinthians and pay attention to what it says. But here, for the sake of time, we won't read this. This is pretty familiar territory. What were they doing? Well, there was a group of them were coming early and they were consuming the, the elements of the Lord's Supper as if it were a common meal. And there were some that were showing up and they had nothing. And he says, you're despising the church of our Lord by what you're doing. And you need to examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper. You need to do it correctly and you need to discern the body. You need to be discerning of your fellow members. We commune together as we're communing with our God. We're not to treat the Lord's Supper, and I would say, by extension, anything else we do in worship as something that is commonplace. We need to give our attention to it. It shouldn't be common. It should be uncommon what we do when we worship together. The early Christians were accused of being cannibals. Did you know that? Do you know why they were accused of being cannibals? Because they ate the flesh of Christ and they drank his blood. They were unusual when it came to the surrounding people. We need to be unusual. We need to be set apart. So God has always outlined for people the forms that he wants to be brought to him in worship. And, he, and he's always laid it out, no matter which age of humanity is there, he's always laid those things out. God respects a person when their worship is well done. He respects an offering when it is as he has commanded or authorized. And he respects it when we hold things as holy and not as common. And that's coming all the way through from Genesis through our New Testaments. Those principles aren't tied to a specific dispensation. Those principles are tied up in the nature of who God is. And his nature hasn't changed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter reminding some of the first century Christians, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Going all the way back to Leviticus, and he brings it into the New Testament, and he says God is still holy. And you're to treat him as holy, and you're to live holy. 
Our worship is going to be acceptable to God when we treat as holy the things that he's called for us to treat as holy. And we've got to recognize the holiness of God. I think we've lost that even within the church. And, and we too often times I think we, we're treating God like he's just our buddy or our pal. He's God. He's our creator. He's separate from us. And we need to treat him with the reverence and holiness that he's asked for. Now, I mentioned we were going to return to John chapter 4, and we're going to do that here in just a moment. But I want to remind you of of what has happened in John chapter 4. Again, we're running short of time, so write these things down and go and and read them. We're going to talk about them very briefly coming through. The ten northern tribes had separated from the southern tribes with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And Rehoboam says, well, you know, the people, their hearts are going to turn back to the house of David if they go back to Jerusalem. So we're going to change things. We're going to set up in Dan and Bethel, we're going to set up golden calves. And we're going to select from among the people our priest, and and that's what we're going to do. We're going to change all of this up. He changed the location of worship for the people of God. He changed the priest of worship for the people of God, but most importantly, he changed the object of worship. Ultimately, these changes took the people of God and the ten northern tribes away from God. Prophet after prophet after prophet were warning them and warning them and warning them, and ultimately God sent the Assyrians in about 722, 721, and carried them away into captivity. But as the empires of old used to do, they would leave a few people there and they would import other people in to that area. Well, God's people intermarried with those people. They became the Samaritans. That's why the Jews hated them so much. Not only because of what had led to the exile with the Assyrians, but also because they had married foreigners. They were half-breeds. They were dogs. Oh, they were so despised. We're going to take a three-day trip around Samaria so we don't get Samaritan dirt on our feet. Yeah, racism isn't anything new, is it? It's been around a long time. So we go back to John chapter 4. Who is this Jesus is talking to? A Samaritan woman. Jesus tore down every taboo that was there during that time. Men didn't speak to women in public that weren't their wife. Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. And so there's a a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman that's not his wife, and he's in public, and he's having this conversation with her. And she's like, why are you even talking to me? And he tells her things that only God could know. I perceive you're a prophet. And then she asked the question, the glaring question about worship. And he says, looking at 23 and and 24, he says, The time is coming, and now is, when we are going to worship not on that mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 23, the hour is coming. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such. Seeking there is a present and continuing action. It's not a one-time thing. 
God is seeking true worshipers. Now, again, we looked at these words right here earlier. Go to the top of the list, proskuneo, to kiss towards the hand, to bow down before, to pay homage. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the type of worship that is being engaged right here. And he he says, true worshipers. So he's setting apart true worshipers from false worshipers. Oh, that's not very tolerant, Brother Mark. I didn't say it. I'm repeating what the Lord said. Whether I like it or not, you know, if I'm going to proclaim the word of God, I've got to say what God has said. I've got to say what Jesus has said. It's not about being tolerant or intolerant. It's about being truthful or untruthful. And, excuse me, and Jesus said there are true worshipers, and the implication is there are false worshipers. We don't like that now, do we? Because everybody's got their own thing that they want to do. He's seeking people who have the right attitude, spirit, the right heart, the right attitude toward him. A contrast to the ritualism of the Pharisees, as we see in Matthew chapter 15, a strong desire to please God. We saw in Malachi chapter 1, you know, you honor your father and you, and you honor your king, but where's my honor? If we have the right attitude, we want to please God. And a strong desire to pour out our hearts to God. You know, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs after you, O God. I thirst for the living God. When can I come and appear before God? This desire to come before God. But secondly, he says, we have to bring the right forms of worship to God. We've got to be connected to truth. That's a contrast to the will worship that you see in Colossians chapter 2. It's a strong desire to follow after God's ways that he specified. You know, when you go back to Cain and Abel, you know, you shouldn't get the idea because there's nothing written there that God hadn't told him what he wanted. Because when he says, if you do well, it implies that he's already told him what he wanted. And Abel brought him what he wanted. Cain decided not to. We're still doing the Cain and Abel thing today. And we need to set aside our will for God's will. What it is that he wants. So there's something really neat that, that Jesus teaches us right here. There's four ways to worship according to 424. Four different ways to worship. First way is without spirit, without truth. That's what most of the world does. They don't have the right heart towards God, and they don't have the right forms towards God, but everybody's worshiping something. You might be worshiping children, spouse, sports, celebrity, money, whatever it is, but that's a way to worship without spirit, without truth. Second way is with spirit, without truth. I think some of our denominational neighbors are caught up in this. I think some of them have got a sincere heart towards God, but they're being deceived by whoever's teaching them that the forms don't matter. In Matthew chapter, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked the question about the greatest commandment, and the, and the lawyer answers correctly, he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. I think we've got some denominational neighbors that aren't far from the kingdom of God. I think their heart's in the right place. They just don't know what to do. They need somebody to teach them.
to help them come to that proper place. Thirdly, without spirit and with truth. And I think we've fallen trapped to this before within the body of Christ. We're so concerned about the forms that we forget about the heart. Folks, that's false worship. Lastly, Jesus says, with spirit and with truth. There are only one of these four are true worshipers, and there's only one of these four that the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking those with the right heart and the right forms who come before Him in honoring Him, reverencing Him, paying homage to Him. We'll we'll conclude with Psalm 24. If you want to learn about worship... There's some of these psalms are just magnificent in helping us get our heart right for worship. This is Psalm of David, Psalm 24, 1 through 5. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Our heart has got to be joined with these God-desired forms of worship in order to be seen by God as true worshipers. We want to be true worshipers. God wants us to be true worshipers. Let's commit ourselves today to begin this process of getting our heart right. You know, one of the things that 1 Corinthians 11 says that we need to examine ourselves, folks, that that should never take place in the song before we take the Lord's Supper. That self-examination ought to be taking place from the time we leave this building on Sunday until we get back, and we are prepared. Our hearts are prepared. We're examining ourselves. We're keeping short accounts with God. We're doing the things that are necessary. So when we walk through these doors, there's no unrepented of sin in our lives. We come with the right attitude, and we come to participate in the right forms where we can worship in spirit and truth. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.